<clears throat> well, hey guys. Wow, thank you for the two people that responded to me when I said hi. Hey guys. Wow, three that time. You guys are fantastic tonight. Thank you for making me feel really, really like a loser. I appreciate it. So if you guys haven't picked up on the concept tonight, we're going to be talking about love uh, in the theme of Valentine's Day being next week. I know that we've seen a lot of things that look like love, teddy bears, candy hearts, things like that. But tonight we're going to talk about something a little bit more significant, uh, something that's actually worth celebrating, and that is God's love, which is the truest form of love. You saw in the video um, a paper heart, and because of Adam and Eve in the fall, we're born with this heart that's like stone. Um, and so tonight I want to go through some of the ways that we can love people, even though we're, we're hard and we're hardened, um, in the process of getting to the place where we can love like Christ loves, and also to a place where we can understand God's love for us. How many of you guys have ever seen Charlie Brown? So a lot of you guys. Well, do you guys remember when Linus and Lucy are talking, and uh, Linus is trying to convince Lucy that he's going to be a doctor someday? And Lucy tells him, you can't do that. You hate humanity. And he says, I don't mind humanity. I hate people. And so the point here that I'm trying to make is a lot of times I think we kind of have this mindset. Uh, we like to love in the abstract. And what I mean by that is the idea of love is really good to us. We can do that, you know. Um, we love to love the concept of loving. But when it actually comes to the nitty-gritty, doing the action of loving someone, someone who maybe is not like you, maybe is weird, Maybe it's just a hateful person, somebody that you don't like. When it comes to loving them, well, that's difficult. Um, and so tonight I want to look at how we can do that. I think we've got to go to Scripture. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Imitate God, since you are the children he loves. Live in love as Christ also loves us. He gave his life for us as an offering and sacrifice. And so it tells us to imitate God, live in love as Christ has loved us. Uh, when Jesus was on the earth, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we know that Jesus is God. And so when it tells us to imitate God, we have to look at Jesus' life. How did he react in certain situations? How did he love people when things were good? How did he love them when things were bad? You see, we have to look at how Jesus treated people. Because in essence, the main point of tonight is love is seen in how we treat people. Everybody say that. Love is seen in how I treat people. Love is seen and how I treat people. Remember that tonight. Love is seen in how I treat people. Some of you guys might have seen uh, a science experiment before where you have a glass prism, and you shine a light through it, and it separates it into different colors. Blue, purple, green. I don't know all of them. Um, but the point of the prism is to separate something that is uh, one into multiple different things, multiple different components. And tonight, I want to look at a passage of Scripture where I believe Paul has separated love out for us into different points that make it easier to understand. And I'm taking these things off because they keep falling off my face. It makes it easier, too, because I can't see your faces now. <clears throat> but I want to talk to you guys about tonight uh, a passage of Scripture, which is 1 Corinthians 13. It's the passage of love. A lot of you guys probably have read it before. Uh, but Paul was writing this passage of Scripture to the church in Corinth, which, which desperately needed to understand the godly kind of love. And Paul was a perfect person to be telling us about love because he knew Jesus. He knew the way he walked. He knew the way that he treated people. So I want to go through that to see what love actually is. Because there's a lot of things that it's not. Love isn't a sermon and it's not a theory. It's not us patting each other on the back saying, I love you with the love of Christ. I mean, sure, that's good sometimes, but honestly, sometimes that's just words. You know, and that can be frustrating. And I know it feels good to have people say, I love you. 
you know, with the love of the Lord. But what I want to see is, are you going to be there for me when I need you? How are you going to be when I need mercy in my life? Are you going to be there with me when I'm in the ups or also when I'm in the valleys? See, tonight I want to talk about a love that is raw, that is scandalous, that is countercultural, a godly kind of love. I want to read for you uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and then um, on the screen will be from verse 4 on. But I just want to read this really quickly. Um, Paul is making it very clear, his stance on love. He says this, I may speak in the languages of humans and angels, but if I don't have love, I'm a loud gong or a clashing cymbal. Have you guys ever been eating family dinner and the TV's on in the background, and it's just loud enough that it's just this irritating sound in your ear? Basically what he's saying here is, without love, I might be able to speak eloquently, but to God it's just noise in his ear if I don't know how to love. It also says, I may have the gift to speak what God has revealed, and I may understand all mysteries and have knowledge. I may even have enough faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. I may even give away all that I have and give up my body to be burned at the stake as a martyr. But I don't have love, none of these things will help me. Basically what Paul is saying is the heartbeat of a Christian's life is love. Um, We see that around Valentine's Day being represented as a heart. But, But for us, what represents love is the cross. And that is our heartbeat and that is what we have to look to when we think about love. When we pick up in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it'll be on the screen. It says, love is patient. Now, different translations say that differently. Um, and one of the translations says, love is long-suffering. Long-suffering. I think we have to try to understand what that means. Long-suffering. It means to suffer for a long time. That O in long is a long O. You know, it's long suffering. Some of you guys might be in the room and you might say, Blake, I've been suffering for a long time. I've been in this relationship, uh, this marriage that I committed to is really good, but now my husband, he's doing all this stuff. I don't even know what he's doing with his life, and I've been suffering through it. Love says stay. Love says suffer with him with the faith that God is going to see it through. Love is patient. Love is long suffering. The next thing it says is love is kind. It says love is not jealous. I love that. Love isn't jealous. It doesn't want what it doesn't have. It has to be happy for other people's successes. Have you ever found in yourself when people succeed around you, it's really hard for you to celebrate for them? I know it is in my own life. Um, I think it's because it's a place of our own insecurity that we do that. It's hard for us to get excited for people because uh, we slowly just start to try to cut them down in our head, you know. They didn't deserve this because, and they only got that because, when in reality we just feel small about ourselves. But love, true godly love, it's not jealous. Love uh, doesn't sing its own praises. It's not arrogant. Guys, I know for me, my love is arrogant a lot of the time. What I mean by that is, arrogance is when you draw attention to yourself. And how many times, you might be able to attest to this also, have you loved somebody for the sake of them saying you're a person who loves? Think about that. Have you ever done that? You've been in a certain situation and you showed them love because you wanted to be known as somebody who cared and loved. Not because you just wanted to help them or because it was an obedient act. Because you wanted to draw attention to yourself. One of my favorite quotes says, beautiful things don't demand attention. I love that. Beautiful things don't demand attention. You see, love doesn't say, I did this, I did this, I did this. It doesn't have an exaggerated opinion of itself and it doesn't always have to be right. I love this next one. Love isn't rude. 
Love isn't rude. The reason I love this so much is because there are a lot of Christians who are just plain rude. Amen? Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Glad you're paying attention. There's just a bunch of us who are just rude. And if we're tr- like truly claiming to be children of a God who is merciful, of a God who is loving and gracious, I feel like the smallest thing that we could probably grasp our hands around, the smallest thing that we can actually do is have some manners. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Please. Why don't you go in front of me? Things like that. Um, and I started thinking about this today. Imagine in your marriage if you decided that you weren't going to be rude to your husband or your wife. How dramatically it might change. I think it's funny sometimes how we would speak to uh, a spouse or a sibling or a friend a lot differently than we would speak to our boss. An example is if, you're, if your boss were to say, hey, would you get me a glass of water? You'd probably be saying things like, okay, yes, sir, I'll be right on it. It's my pleasure. Now, if your wife says, hey, honey, could you get me a glass of water? You're probably going to say, no, go get it yourself and make me a sandwich, woman. I'm glad that got some of the guys laughing. The girls probably want to, the girls probably all want to kill me right now, but. But the the point I want to make here is you can actually control how you react in circumstances, and that proves it. You know, so many times I feel like I catch myself doing this. I just, I just can't help it. This is just who I am. I just, this is just, no, that's not true. You want to know how it's not true? Because you don't act a fool when you're around your boss. You're only rude to people that you care about and you love, but that's not real love. That's not real love. So imagine if you started loving those people that are uh, meaning the most to you in a way that's not rude. The next thing is, excuse me. The next thing is it doesn't think about itself. It isn't irritable. It isn't irritable. Now that word irritable is also translated differently in different translations. And one of the translations says that it's not touchy. Now the word touchy in this sense doesn't mean like, ooh, he touched me. It's touchy in the sense that th- this person is extremely oversensitive. Uh, they're one of those people that you feel like you're constantly walking around on eggshells when you're around them. You're afraid that you're going to offend them or they're going to take you the wrong way. Now, I know that we're supposed to be loving and sensitive as Christians, but if you're a person who's like that in the room and you know that, I just want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you to choose to not be a person who's hard to get along with. Because the reality is you're never going to be able to show love in somebody's life if they don't even want to be around you. Would you choose to not be irritable, to not be touchy? The next thing is my second favorite one in all of this passage, and it says this. It doesn't keep track of wrongs. Isn't it an awesome thought to know that the God kind of love completely forgets our sin? That's pretty amazing to me. But you see, I feel like we struggle with this one probably more than anything else. I feel like we really have a hard time with this because what I do, I know for me, is I keep in my head every time somebody does me wrong, well, you owe me for that, and you owe me for that, and you owe me for that. It's like I have a clicker ongoing in my head. It's really bad with my siblings especially. And I just hold all these things inside, and I hold these grudges, and I hold all these things against people. But Scripture says this. It says that God's mercies are new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning. That means every single day when you wake up, you've got a clean slate. Now, I don't know about you, but you might need to go to the grocery store and buy one of those big mistake erasers. Have you guys ever seen those? It's like the size of your face. It's huge. And just start cleaning some stuff out in your life. Cleaning some junk up, some of the grudges that you've been holding on to. Because the reality is this. 
if you're holding grudges, if you're holding on to things, if you're holding on to hurt, people that have hurt you, the reason they hurt you is because it was sin. And so what you're holding on to is sin. And sin is toxic. So the closer that you keep that to your heart, the closer that you keep it to you, the longer you're going to be living in sickness and in brokenness. Would tonight be a night that you let go of some things? You stop keeping records of wrongs. Love isn't happy when injustice is done, but is happy with the truth. Love never stops being patient, and it never stops believing. I want to pause here where it says, love never stops believing. I think when Paul wrote those words, basically what he was saying is, love always sees the best in people. Now, I don't know about you, but I typically do the opposite of that. I'm really, really quick to see the worst in somebody. Um, It's a problem. And just imagine for a second if in your day, every single person that you came into contact with, you looked for that thing in them that was good. You know, a lot of times people walk around with their head hung down. They've been told that they're unworthy, that they're unqualified, that they're broken, that they're not worth anything. And maybe the only way that they're ever going to see love in their life is for one person to look for that good thing and show them what it is. And maybe that person could be you. Love never stops believing in people. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. I have a passage of this scripture, this 1 Corinthians 13, tattooed on my ribs. It says, love never fails. And the reason I have that is because I know my mom and dad love me because their love never failed in the hard times. Their love was never there when things got rocky or hard. Their love never had conditions. See, that's how we know love. We love in our actions and our attitudes. I want to say that again, make sure you guys caught that. We love in our actions and our attitudes. You see, love is willing to adapt and to adjust. Love prefers other people. It allows them to go first. Uh, gives them the last cookie in the jar kind of attitude. The biggest piece of cake. You know, and this is really difficult for us to do sometimes. I know for me, especially when that person that we're trying to do something nice for, that we're preferring, um, that we're allowing to have something over us, especially when that person is a bitter person, a mean person, a hard person to get along with, a broken person. Sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes it's hard when it's your family, when it's people that you love, your friends, your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend. It's just really hard to put other people first. And I think we need to understand this concept that when we do those things, we're not doing it for the other person, but we do it for God. You see, our reward doesn't come from people. One of the most difficult things, for me at least, to swallow is that person might not notice it, They might not appreciate it, and they might not even care. They might not notice it, appreciate it, or even care. But I think that we have to understand that we can't walk in love until we understand it's not about getting thanked or appreciated for what we do, but it's about obedience. It's about doing what we're supposed to do because it's what God commands. And when we do that, we get to be a part of his glory because he allows us to share in his excellence. See, what happens is so many times we try to put ourselves in the right situation. We try to put ourselves past other people. We look at ourselves and not at other people. We provide the best for ourselves, and what often happens is we end up with the worst. When I was in college, there was this restaurant that all of us love to go to, and it's called Fiesta, and it was probably the best Mexican restaurant in town, uh, probably in the state of Kentucky, I have to say. It was delicious, but because of that, on the weekends, it was absolutely jam-packed every weekend. And I remember on a Friday night, um, me and a couple of my friends, I think there was four of us, decided we were going to go to Fiesta. 
Now, it was absolutely freezing cold, and the wind was blowing like 40-mile-an-hour gusts. I mean, it was absolutely insane. And so um, when we pulled up to the door, one of my buddies was like, all right, Blake, go in and get us a table. And we'll pull around and park. Hopefully we can get a table quickly. So he lets me out. And as I'm walking out towards the door, catch something in the corner of my eye. I look over and I see a woman. I see a man. He's in a wheelchair. And I see two little girls. And immediately, I realize I have to make a choice. See, there's four of them, and I know that there's four of us. And it starts to seem like they're going to get to the door before me. So the Christian in me says, Blake, let them go. It's just fiesta. But the human in me took off running to the door like an idiot in front of these family, this family. And not only did I take off running to the door, but right before I got to the door, this little girl ran up towards the door to open it for her dad. I swung it open, pinning her to the brick wall. Yeah, I'm a great person, I know. <laughs> and so as I walk in, I'm just, you know, throwing up my hands like, uh, sorry, it happens, <laughs> like all Christians do, a bunch of phonies. And uh, I walk in, and I don't really feel guilty because I smell fiesta. And so we wait, and we finally get the next available table. Well, unfortunately, the next available table was a table literally right by the door. And so what that meant is every single time somebody came in the restaurant or out of the restaurant, it was like an arctic gust of wind up our necks every single time. And so me, again, being godly, I started praying, God, why are you doing this to me? God, this is so awful. Why are you putting me in this? I thought that you showed favor to your people. I don't know. You see, and so often we do that in our own lives. We put ourselves in situations because we try to prefer ourselves over other people. Instead of acting in obedience and acting in love, we act selfishly. And we get ourselves into situations that are sometimes really, really bad. And in those situations, instead of acknowledging the fact that we put ourselves there, we choose to blame God. You know, that, that all starts by choosing not to walk in love. That all starts by not doing a little thing. See, I believe it's a lot of the little things we do and we don't do that are stealing our inheritance. It's a lot of the little things that we do and don't do that are stealing our joy and our fullness that Christ has for our life. It's those moments where in a split second we choose not to walk in love, to not walk in love. You see, we try to take care of ourselves instead of following godly principles. In Scripture, in Philippians, uh, the first chapter, verse 9 and 10, it says this, In this I pray, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. Basically what Paul is saying is, I don't care where you are in your love walk, whether it's um, you're really, really good at loving people or you suck at loving people, I want you to get better at loving people so that it might abound and abound and abound. Scripture continues and it says, And extend to its fullest development and knowledge and keen insight that your love may display itself. That your love may display itself. So that makes you realize, oh wow, my love walk is actually supposed to be seen. People are actually supposed to identify it in my life. It's not something that I just have to keep inside. You know, so often I feel like there's people in life that say, I'm a really good person and I would do the right thing in the the right situation and this and that and the other. But Paul's telling us that we need to love in such a way that we go after people with our love. That it's obvious, that it's blatant that it's reckless, and that's how people are reached. And verse 10 closes, so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value. 
You see, you can't be an excellent person if you aren't walking in love. Luke 10, a lot of you guys know this scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And it continues and it says, do this and you shall live. Do this and you shall live. You see, we can concentrate on loving God and loving people and walk in the full will of God. I love that idea because so often I feel like we overcomplicate the gospel. So often I feel like we overcomplicate God and what he wants for us, but we can do two things, love God and love people. And yet those are two of the things we struggle with the most. Love God and love people. Scripture in Colossians talks about putting on things. And I love that um, verbiage, putting on, because it insinuates that you have to make a choice. Um, I don't think that any of you guys woke up this morning, walked in your closet, and your clothes just jumped on your body. You had to look through stuff, figure out what fit you right, figure out what made you look fat, and decide exactly what you wanted to wear to look best for church. You had to put on what you wanted. You had to be intentional and do it on purpose. And Colossians talks about putting on things like kindness and love. And I think so, so many times we get caught in this trap when we talk about love, um, of not loving somebody because we don't feel like it. You know, I know for me, a lot of times I've had like really crappy days. I'm just like, sorry, I don't feel like being a good person today. Sorry, I don't feel like loving you with patience. Sorry, I don't feel like being kind because of this, that, and the other. And so I take it out on people. But tonight I think we have to understand that love is not a feeling, but it's a choice. You see, emotions and feelings are fickle, but love is not. Love is a choice and a behavior that we make in obedience to God. And so I want to read Colossians 3, verse 12. It says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, so that's you and me, Christians in the room, guys, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. See, if you mash up all of those words, if you mash up kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, the word that I kind of come up with is meekness. Meekness. A lot of times people associate the word meekness with weakness, but in reality, meekness is strength controlled. Let me explain. When Jesus was on earth, he had all the angels at his disposal. It says in scripture that he had legions of angels. Legions are thousands of angels. And so when he was on the cross, he could have called for the angels to take him down, but he didn't. He stayed there in obedience. You know, scripture tells us in Romans that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. And I believe that. He does work all things together for the good, but that doesn't mean that everything is good. Some things are hard and some things are bad. And does that mean that God wants you to run away from them? Or is he creating a situation for you to show love to somebody who really needs it? Is he creating a situation for you to grow in love? Maybe the situation for you is um, your boss is just awful. And he has been wearing you out. And you've been walking around complaining and murmuring and saying things about him. Maybe in this situation, instead of running away or complaining, what God is asking you to do is to realize that your boss is sandpaper. And God is trying to refine you and shape you into being a person who can love people who are hard to love. So we have to have meekness, strength, control. <clears throat> Scripture continues in Colossians and it says, Bear with one another and forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. See, forgiveness and love, they go hand in hand. And sometimes, you know, as hard as it is to love people, it's even harder to forgive people. 
this verse really made me start thinking. You know, we say the Lord's Prayer, and I think sometimes we don't even think about the words that we're saying. But we say to God, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So basically what we're saying to God is, forgive us the way that we forgive other people. Now, I don't know about you, but I really hope God doesn't forgive me the way I forgive other people. Because if that's the case, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm in a lot of trouble. You see, part of loving is learning how to forgive. Learning how to forgive. Scripture continues, and it says, <clears throat> it says this, it says, beyond all these things, so beyond forgiveness, beyond kindness, beyond meekness, beyond everything, the one thing that you should decide every single day, the one thing that you should be intentional about, the one thing that you should do on purpose is put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put on love. I think that 1 Corinthians 13 is awesome for us because it gives us places to work towards. Um, my grandparents have uh, a door frame, and in that door frame, there's lines, uh, markings from us when we were little kids to the time that we're adults. And I think God kind of uses 1 Corinthians 13 um, to kind of measure how well we love. You know? Are you loving patiently? Are you loving kindly? And I think the ultimate litmus test for us when we're trying to figure out if we're loving in the godly kind of love is to do this. Go home and take 1 Corinthians 13 and break it down for yourself starting at verse 4. But instead of saying, love is, say your name. Blake is patient. Blake is kind. You know, just those first two things, I tell you, I, I can tell you right now, I fail in every single day. And I want to challenge you that as you go about your week this week, would you be really intentional really intentional at working to make those things true in your life. I want to close with this um, story because love is awesome, you know, this concept of godly love, but it's hard to understand love if you've never been taught love. I think we've all kind of adopted in this culture, you know, hate breeds hate. Bitterness breeds bitterness. Hurt people hurt people. Well, the same is true about love. Love breeds love, and so you can't create love if you don't understand love. So I want to tell you a story about how God loves us. And it's a beautiful story in Scripture. And it's about the prophet, Hosea. Yeah, the band can come on up. So if you don't know the story about the prophet, Hosea, God comes to him and he says, man, you're going to get a wife. And he's like, okay, cool, that's great, I can do that. But then God also throws him a little curveball. And he says, not only are you going to get a wife, but your wife is going to be a prostitute. And so being the faithful man that he was, he went out. And he found him a woman. And he found, fell madly in love with this woman. And her name was Gomer. Now, I don't know what's worse. The fact that she was a prostitute or the fact that her name was Gomer. But he loved her. Let me just think about this for a second. I probably shouldn't sidebar because I'm getting sidetracked. But can you imagine him introducing her to the family? Like, hey guys, this is my new wife. Her name is Gomer and she's a whore. <laughs> probably is not going to earn, probably not going to earn points with the siblings. <laughs> Uh, sorry, scratch that from the podcast, please. <laughs> and so they fall in love. And not only do they fall in love, but they have children. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. They have kids together. Guys, be serious. <clears throat> but they have kids together. And so they start raising this family. And slowly but surely, Gomer is getting bored. This life of being a mom, of being a wife, just isn't cutting it for her. 
So what happens is Gomer falls back into her old ways, and she leaves Jose. And he's heartbroken. He's absolutely devastated. And she starts sleeping around again, living a life that's empty, broken, just dirty. God comes to Jose again. He says, Jose, go get your wife and bring her home. After that, Jose goes and finds Gomer, and he sees her. She's a hot mess. She's surrounded by her sin, by the brokenness of her life that she chose. He picks her up in her arms, and he says, honey, we're going home. Now, I love that story. And I try to put myself in the shoes of Jose. Could you love like that? Completely without conditions. Could your heart be that full of forgiveness and grace? I also love that story because it's a beautiful illustration of the way God loves you and me. You see, we're born into this world broken. Like a prostitute pimping ourselves out on lust and greed and money and whatever else we can chase in this world, cheating on the one true thing, the one true love of our life, God who proposed with his life. And he brings us into marriage with him and we live life with him and we get excited at first and it's awesome. You know, we go to church camp, we go to church, we talk to our family about it, we start to pray. But then we get into the grind and work starts to get hard and our wife gets sick. Things just start getting ugly for us and slowly but surely, this life of Christianity isn't as appealing as it once was because it's not as easy as it once was. And so all those things that you used to be tell you that they're better, that they'll make you feel something better, that they'll make you feel complete and worthy And so you fall right back to them. You go running back to your brokenness, running back to the pain, running back to the things that don't care if you're upset, running back to the bottle, running back to the life filled with sexual immorality. Whatever it is, you run back to it. And it breaks God's heart, just like Jose. It absolutely kills him on the inside. Scripture tells us that God is jealous for us. He doesn't like it when we cheat on him. So just like Jose, God comes and he finds us right where we are. No matter how broken you might feel, no matter how dirty you might feel, no matter how far gone you might think you are, God comes right where you are and he scoops you up and he says, we're going home. We're going home. Could you embrace that love tonight? Would you pray with me? Dear God, we just want to thank you for your love. God, when I think about the fact that I run away from you so many times, and every time you come and pick me up and take me home, I just can't help but be overwhelmed. God, thank you that your love is bigger than anything we can comprehend or understand. 
God, thank you for your grace that's sufficient. For your son who's willing to die on a cross so that I might live freely, so that a sinner like me, somebody messed up like me who's willing to cheat on you, somebody as broken and jacked up as me could live in heaven someday with you. Lord, tonight in this room, I don't know where people are at. You know, I believe that there's probably people in this room who have felt very broken, brokenhearted. They felt very far away from you. God, would you just show them right now that you're in this room, that you're right here with them, ready to carry them home. All they have to do is say, you know what? I need you. I need you, God. All they need to do is surrender. So would you just make them feel loved right now in this place? God, I just want to ask that you would allow us to not believe the lies that media and life sometimes tell us about lust. Make us believe that lust is love. Because the reality is lust is selfish. Lust is about what I want and love is about what the other person wants. And so God, would you help us sacrificially love in our everyday life? to love in every relationship, to love the people that are hard to love, and to truly pursue all the things that you call us to do in 1 Corinthians 13. God, I just thank you for this church. Thank you for all the people that are in this room, Lord, and for their hearts. God, you're building a family here, and I feel incredibly blessed just to be a part of it. So we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. During this time, guys, you can respond by coming up to the altar. Maybe you just need to get on your knees and say, God, I just need to receive your love in a way I've never received it before. I've wandered away. Would you take me home tonight? Or maybe you need to fall on your face and say, God, I really, really suck at loving people. I've allowed excuses and my past and hurt and different things to allow me to not even love in my life, to not show kindness or grace. God, would you just help me love people? We take communion. We've got it on both sides, representing the body of Christ broken for you and his blood that covered us. His blood that has allowed us to be free from our sin. Whatever it is, would you just respond during this time? Would you stand and sing?